gurgling. Oh, wait. It's too late. Well, I'm going to turn this on, and it, it may work. Oh, wait. We're going to get this. Oh, yeah, okay. So my name is Matt Lundgren, and I've been here over the last decade. I've probably been here at least once a year. So I've been here 10 times, so I feel like a regular. <laughs> thanks so much for having me back, and thanks, too, for the work that you do. Your church is a part of a larger association of churches all across Montana, but all across the Northwest and all across America that support the work that we do in Billings. And I always like to give you a little update about what we're accomplishing on your behalf. Um, your congregation has been so generous to us. You've brought over hats and gloves and scarves for kids. You've come over and brought volunteers. You've come over and taken some things and brought them to Temple Hills, your camp. Um, so it's kind of fun to talk about ways that we partner and things that we do together. I a little too hyperactive to stand behind the pulpit, so I'm going to meander a little bit. But if these speakers start to squeal, I promise I will run back. So just want to briefly give an update on the ministry and what we're doing, and then I want to have a conversation about poverty. Happy little topic on a sunny day like today. So as it says up there, I'm Matt, and I'm the director of Billings Leadership Foundation. Billings Leadership Foundation is a is an organization we started about a year ago to really be that foundation of support to hold up several Christian ministries that serve uh, a large part of, of Montana. The first, of course, is Friendship House of Christian Service. Friendship House was started by uh, the American Baptist churches here in the Northwest to serve low-income and at-risk kids and families in the south side of Billings. Um, if you know anything about our great state, our great state has many assets, many blessings we also have many deficits, many areas where we have to invest to help people. The South Side of Billings is just that, a place where we can really invest and help people and see tremendous growth. At Friendship House, we've got five programs that we do. Every day, there's an all-day preschool. So five days a week from six in the morning till six at night, we take care of little ones. Have about 40 kids coming every day. Low-income kids that we're there to bless and encourage so mom can go to work and kids can get ready for school. Second thing we do at Friendship House is our youth enrichment program. So every day in the summer we have kids, once again from 6 in the morning till 6 at night, and then after school every day we go to about 8 different schools and pick up about 150 kids we pick up and bring to our after school ministry where we're doing homework help and tutoring and mentoring and discipling and training and helping kids have a safe place to be, meals to eat, warm clothes, a safe place to be. Third thing we do at Friendship House is a teen job skills program. Um, we have a food trailer that our kids run, um, that goes all over Billings anyway. We've got a, uh, a restaurant that our kids run. And then we also have what we call open gym where kids come and play whatever they want to play. I'm thinking snowball fights this week. Then at Friendship House, we also have adult education. We're really there to help families get to know God. And part of the way we do that is by meeting basic needs. So seven days a week, there's adult ed classes at Friendship House, whether it be parenting, cooking, exercise, first-time homebuyer, really that hands and feet of Christ to help people get ahead. Last thing we do at Friendship House is counseling. We have two licensed mental health therapists on staff to deal with folks that are dealing with the adverse effects of poverty and trauma and abuse and neglect. So our counselors are really working from a faith-based perspective to move people ahead. So that's Friendship House. The other ministry that I get the privilege of overseeing as the director of the Billings Leadership Foundation, is the Montana Rescue Mission. Montana Rescue Mission is just that. It's a rescue mission that serves a lot of Montana. 
We have a, a homeless shelter for men, which is one of our programs. We're there to help men get back on their feet, give them job skills training, work with them on sobriety, work with them on being good fathers or paying back child support they might owe and doing the right thing by their families. We have a women and family shelter um, um, where we're working with women and their families. Could be an intact couple, could be a woman with children. Uh, last night, I think we had 63 women and kids at the women and family shelter. Um, caring for them, getting them back on their feet. We are the largest and the oldest homeless shelter in Montana there to help the women and kids. In addition to that, we have a soup kitchen we call Mission Diner. This past year, we served about 100,000 meals to people that didn't have enough to eat. Then we have a bargain center, which is a thrift store, and uh, that's kind of a fun thing. You get to see all sorts of treasures show up. You never know what's going to come in one of those thrift store boxes. Wow. But the thrift store is really a job skills training place for our homeless friends. And then finally, we have uh, mission apartments. We're trying to move people off the street into our shelter and then from the shelter into an apartment. So we have a subsidized apartment complex of about 30 apartments that we're really helping people get back on their feet. So I have the privilege of overseeing all that ministry, and it wouldn't happen without your congregation's support, without the support of First Baptist here or First Baptist in Billings and the American Baptist churches, as well as many other denominational churches. I think last I checked between the Friendship House and the Montana Rescue Mission, I think we have over 350 churches supporting us. So it feels kind of cool. It feels really cool to see the body of Christ really care for the poor. And when we think about the poor, I thought it would be appropriate for me this morning to ask some questions about poverty. Now, when I look at that screen back there, it's really in focus. But when I look at this one, it's blurry. So either my bifocals are getting bad, or else you all need to turn around and face that way. <laughs> okay, so I got some questions. Let's start with this. First question. How many of you chose your parents? Wait a minute. None of you chose your parents? You didn't go parent shopping? You mean to tell me you didn't pick your parents? Probably the most important thing in your life is your parents and you didn't pick it? Wow. And somehow you're still here and you turned out? Okay, let me ask you the next one. It gets easier. How many of you chose to be born rich or poor? Any of you say, oh, Bill Gates, you're my daddy. You're my sugar daddy. <laughs> How many of you chose to be born rich or poor? You didn't choose to be born rich or poor? Come on. You mean wealth is so important in our country and you didn't choose to be born rich or poor? Really? That's outside of your control too? Okay, it's going to get easier. How many of you chose the color of your skin? Really, you didn't choose that either, and that can be so defining or so dividing, and you didn't choose that. So three of the most important things that we tend to judge people by, who your parents are, how much money you have, what you look like, and you didn't choose them? You mean to tell me that we Americans, self-made people, we Montanans, these rugged individuals that got it all together, we can do it all. Three of the fundamental things of our life we don't get to pick. Could it be that there are things outside of our control that we can't turn on and off with a switch? Could it be there's not a remote control like this for our wealth or our parents or our color or in my case, our height or lack of height? I guess you can change your eye color. I saw colored contacts. That was kind of cool. And apparently, as I get older, my wife tells me there's even this thing so you can change your hair color. I could go back to blonde, but I'm kind of liking the gray thing. Okay, let me ask you this one. How many of you chose to be born in America? 
what I think is the greatest country in the world. I haven't traveled to a bunch. I've been to about 12 countries, but I feel like America's amazing. I mean, the fact that we have plows on the road, I'm really thankful for that. This morning I left Billings about five to seven, and by the time I got to Reed Point, it was about that deep, but the plows were out. The sheep were out too. Funny, you couldn't tell the sheep from the snow. It was like all white, and it was blowing, and it was like this. But, yeah, bah, that's good. But when I got to Bozeman Pass, there was less snow on the pass than there was in Reed Point. For those of you that are skiers, go to Reed Point. I'm just saying. Um, none of you chose to be born in America. So all these rights and privileges you have at being American, you didn't pick. You just got them automatically. Just like you got your parents. Just like you got the wealth just like you got the color of your skin or how tall you are or maybe the color of your eyes. Maybe you switched those. I don't know. Never seen some of you before. Let me ask you the next one. How many of you chose your IQ? Now, my wife has this thing on her phone she plays. It's supposed to increase her, her brain power. I'm not sure. I know it's ruined her eyes. She's like always doing it. Is Russell, I think it is. And how many of you oh, lost some brain cells in college? No, don't answer that. Some of you are still in college. So you can lower your IQ, can't you? So that you can control. But you can't pick if you're born with a lot of gray cells between your ears or a little. You really can't pick your IQ. You can't choose to be born high IQ or low IQ. You can't choose to be born the smartest person in the world or someone who might be mentally retarded or disabled. You can't pick that either. There's so much of life that might actually be out of our control, and we think we've got it all, don't we? I mean, how many of you, when you sit on the couch, you got that remote, you're like, yeah, I'm in charge here. I can do ESPN. I know she wants the Hallmark Channel, but I can do ESPN. <laughs> how many of you chose your siblings? Now, this one I have had people say, I went to the orphanage, and I got to pick out my baby brother, or the, you know, I got to help adopt. Any of you choose your siblings? That'd be kind of cool. I was the youngest of five brothers. They always told me that they found me uh, in the cabbage patch under a cabbage leaf, and they didn't really want me. <laughs> So I was the baby of five, so I wish I hadn't chosen those four older brothers, believe me. They were mean, and they're all taller and bigger than me, so I couldn't lip off much, but I could, I could say it and then run away. So I didn't choose my siblings. None of you chose your siblings? Okay, how about this one? How many of you chose your shoe size? No? Yesterday I went to the shoe store, and they were having this sale, and I really wanted this pair of nines to fit. I'm at eight. I really wanted this pair of nines to fit. I was thinking I could put cotton up there. I mean, these are some cool shoes. I need a new pair of running shoes. But I can't even choose the size of my feet. I'm an eight. I wish I was a nine because they were like $150 running shoes and they were on sale for 45. I'm thinking I could be a nine. I could stretch out my toes, grow my toenails. Okay, I can't even choose the size of my feet. I'm feeling like I'm pretty powerless here. Now, this last one, good Baptists. Here we are at First Baptist Church. The first one in Bozeman. How many of you chose to follow Jesus? Yeah, okay. See, there are some things we can do, but so much of our life is outside of our control, and I don't think we like to admit that. How many of you are like me, control freaks? Want to have it all well in hand, or at least planned, or at least think you got it? Now, how many of you are married to control freaks? Come on, raise your hands, and then elbow the person next to you. <laughs> I knew I'd get you in trouble. I get to leave. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm going to ask some more questions. So 
knowing that a lot of our life, and believe it or not, the life of the person next to you or behind you or in front of you, knowing that a lot of our life is actually out of our control, let's ask this question and try to frame it from a biblical perspective. As the people of God, how do we respond to poverty? It seems in our culture, we have dialectical, that's a fancy college word, I know I'm in a college town so I can say that, dialectical, diametrically opposed viewpoints, right? On one hand, if you push it all the way to the end, you've got socialism or communism that say, oh, poor people, they're just poor and we've got to take care of them and do everything for them. We have to be big brother, we've got to take care of everything. Then on way on the other end, and this is our country right now, right? On the other end, we have dictatorial totalitarianism, if you will. Measure up, shape up, get it together, or you get nothing. So how do we, as the people of God, respond to poverty when we see someone that doesn't have it together, that's got nothing? Mary came into our shelter this past week, had four kids. She had two black guys. Her boyfriend had beat her up and said, get out. She had a diaper bag, one in one arm, in diapers, like 18 months, a three-year-old in this arm, a four-year-old and a five-year-old hanging on each leg. All she had was a diaper bag, the clothes on her back. How do we, as the people of God, respond? Now, if I was a dictatorial totalitarianist, I'd say, Mary, shape up or get out. Or if I was way over here, I'd say, oh, Mary, let me do everything for you. You just sit on the couch. I'll give you bonbons. We'll take care of the kids. As the people of God, could it be, in our society that's so polarized, could it be that we're called to be the most radical of all? Could it be that we're called to live in the radical middle and follow what God says instead of what the polls say? Could it be that as people of God, we're called to be the radical center and say, well, I don't know what you're saying or you're saying, but I know what God says. So how are people in poverty called to respond to God? That's the flip of this, isn't it? How do we respond to people who are poor? And then how are people who are poor respond to us? How are people who are poor respond to us? Glenn came to us about a year ago at the rescue mission, having fallen off the wagon for about the 12th time. He had 12 DUIs to prove it. He will never drive again, thankfully. But he came to us and said, you know what? I've tried everything. Nothing's working. Will you help me get sober? Will you help me get back on my feet? I said, well, we can help you, but it's not about a treatment program alone. It's not about going to a meeting alone. It's also about having Jesus in your life because only God can change you from the inside out. And he surrendered his life to God about nine months ago. He's been clean and sober since. He's working for us at our bargain center, sorting boxes of donations and putting labels on things and carrying them out there. Stalker, you know, not stalker, but stalker. There's a difference, people. And Glenn, when he came to us, he looked like one of the guys in ZZ Top. His beard was like down here and his hair was like down, you know what I'm talking, Brib Van Winkle. You wouldn't recognize him now. He's clean and shaven and sober and doing great. And uh, we actually hired him in our bargain center. And he's been working for us now for, he had like a three-month internship to make sure he didn't wash out. 
but he's been with us a year, so he's been paid for about six months. And you know what he said? He said, Pastor Matt, you know what I want to do? I got three kids by three different wives that I've never paid a penny of child support. Would it be okay if I stayed in the men's shelter until I paid back all the child support I owe? I said, yeah. That's God touching your heart, Glenn. That's God touching your heart. And so little by little, he's paying back his child support. Now, I could have said to Glenn, Glenn, you poor thing, you've had a rough life. Just lay on the couch and keep drinking. That's fine. <laughs> or I could have said, Glenn, you lousy piece of beep. You ought to get off your beep. And you ought to pick yourself up by your beep. And better get to beep. But somehow, God's word had called me to be right in the radical center and say, Glenn, I love you, but you can't keep doing what you're doing. Maybe there's a better way. So what did Jesus say in Mark 14, 7? You want to read that out loud with me? Can we do that? The poor you... Oh, let's start again. We've got to have more gusto. I know it's a cold morning, but we're Baptists. We can do better, can't we? All right, ready. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. What does that tell you? What is Jesus saying? How long will you have the poor? Always. Always. So does that mean that there's no program or government entity that can solve poverty? According to Jesus, we're always going to have poor people. So we recognize there's going to be poor. But what is Jesus' call to us in this little text? What can we do? We can help. When can we help them? Anytime. You mean you can help someone anytime? So in our after-school program at Friendship House, last week, there was a mom who had two kids, and uh, 6 o'clock comes, she doesn't come to pick up her kids. 6.30 comes, she doesn't come to pick up her kids. We're closed at 6. We're calling her emergency contact number. We're calling her cell phone. It goes right to voicemail. We're thinking, what's going on? No, I have to admit, my staff were getting a little bit antsy. They're like, oh, we got to get home to cook dinner for our own families. Um, these two kids are here. Mom is not showing up. You know, we're about this far from calling Child Protective Services, CPS, to have these kids picked up because we're like, what do we do? It gets to be 7 o'clock. Mom is still not there. We're thinking, Mom, I got some words for you. 7.05, she rolls in. Pastor Matt, I'm so sorry. Well, why? What's going on? had a flat tire. She drives a beater. She's low income. She's a single mom. There was no tire iron in with the jack because it was a third-hand car, fourth-hand car, and she couldn't get the lug nuts off without a wrench. And so she literally waited by the side of the road until someone would stop and help her. And someone, about an hour late, decided to help her. And then she came to us. And then we had a chance to help her. Now, it was not the time we had wanted it was an hour and five minutes after we had closed officially, but we chose to help her at any time rather than to say, you slacker, get out of here. You're a bad mom. She was literally in tears. She felt so bad about it. We're always going to have people like her, but when can we help them? Anytime. Will it always be on our timetable when we get to help people? Maybe not. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if people only came to us with problems like between 10 and 2 and then we got like a two-hour coffee break in the middle? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we get to help people anytime. That's what Jesus says. Will we? 
That's the question. Let's read another verse together. How about we read Matthew 25, 4? So what did Jesus say? Let's read this together. As much as you have done this for one of these little ones, you have done unto me. So this comes at the end of a happy little parable about the end of the world. <laughs> the sheep and the goats where Jesus is separating people according to the way they lived. And the woman says, Lord, when did we see you naked and clothe you? When did we see you in prison and go to visit you? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you an orphan and take care of you? When did we see you homeless and give you a roof over your head? And Jesus said, as much as you've done it to these folks, you've done it to me. What does that tell you? Who are we serving when we're serving the poor or the needy? Jesus, God. Did you ever think about that? Now, if you're like me and you're driving over the Bozeman Pass and there's like two semis with their lights flashing and they're spraying up that slushy stuff and you can't see and you're like, I wish they would, and I, come on, you idiot. <laughs> I know, it's a road rage thing. My wife tells me about it all the time for like 29 years. Um, then I got thinking. You know what I'm complaining about his driving? As much as I'm mad at him, guess who I'm really mad at? God. Because as much as I've done it unto you, I've done it unto him. Ooh, makes me not want to complain about other people's driving. Now, how many of you have people in your life that drive you absolutely crazy? Could be your kids, could be your spouse, could be your neighbor, could be your neighbor's dog. Yeah, roommates. Yeah, a guy down the hall with a loud mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it's really important if we want to follow what God says in the word when we care for others that we remember when we're dealing with others we're really dealing with Jesus that goes for rich or poor tall or short Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic or atheist when we're caring for people we're caring for Jesus and that is so important to remember because if we don't and we just think oh they're just a person what does that do the way we value people if they're just a person, a thing, right? Does it make you want to value someone if you just think, eh, they're just a guy, I'll never see him again? But what if when you looked at everybody in this room, you saw Jesus sitting there and there and there and there and there? How would that make you treat people differently if they were dressed like Jesus? No, I'm not suggesting you all put on a robe and sandals and grow your hair. Some of you have already got the hair thing, it's looking great, I'm telling you, it's beautiful. But if you see Jesus in everyone, it makes you treat them differently, doesn't it? We're going to do another couple verses. What does the Word of God say? Now, we're talking about poverty and our response, and then the response to people in poverty. So let's read this once together from 2 Thessalonians 3.10. Ready? If a man will not work, he shall not eat. I had a guy come to me and say, how come you guys have this community soup kitchen? How come you feed 100,000 people a year? These guys aren't working. Why are you feeding them? Wow. Well, that's an answer. That's a perspective. But let me ask you this. How many Sunday mornings when you open up those doors is there a line stretching around the block for people to come in? Probably not many because today you had to go through the snow and shovel it, right? Every day at noon when we open the doors to Mission Diner 
there's a line of about 350 people waiting to begin to eat. Hungry people. And you know what that gives me the opportunity to do? I sit down at the table and I say, Sally, how's it going? Tell me your kids' names. How can I pray for you? How can I bless you? The reason we feed the poor is so that we can feed them Christ. Now, do the poor have an obligation? Yeah. What does this verse say? If who will not work? A man. Literally, it says man. It doesn't say woman. So back in the day, in the day of Paul who wrote Thessalonians, men worked. Women also worked, but men had the career. Now, that's different today. But men were called to support their families, as they still are today. But sometimes women have these things called children. And it makes it hard for them to work because they've got to take care of them and diapers and feeding and everything else. So men need to work. What about eating, though? Is it, is it okay to just say, no, go work and then buy some bread? Is that okay? Remember the context of the last verse that we just read? If, uh, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So imagine if Jesus came to your house, right? And he wanted to come over for dinner but he was currently unemployed, what would you say? No, no, get out of here. <laughs> Doesn't it change your perspective if you think about the fact that everyone is to be treated like we'd treat Jesus if he came over? Maybe some new thoughts, maybe some uncomfortable thoughts, but I think it's important to think them. After all, they're in the Bible. All right, what did Jesus say? Now, this was a story, this fellow, they called him the rich young ruler or the rich young dude, depending on how old you are. Um, he was rich. He had so much. In fact, he had it all. I mean, he drove up in the Lamborghini. He rolled the window down, turned down the stereo. He was like, yay, Jesus, I want to follow you. He's got the bling bling hanging off his wrist. He's got the Rolex. He's got the Armani suit. You know, he steps out with the alligator leather shoes. He's like, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And what did Jesus say to him? Let's read this together from Matthew 19, 21. If you want to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So does that mean that you should go home right now and do a yard sale and sell like everything and sell your house and give it all away? Is that what that means? Some have interpreted it that way. You look at the Catholic orders, they take a vow of poverty, they sell everything, and they go to a monastery or a nunnery, and that's their thing. There's not too many uh, Baptist nuns and monks and brothers. <laughs> so perhaps we look at that verse differently, right? There's another verse that Jesus talks about. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This verse is talking about what do we value? If you want to be perfect, yeah, go give it all away. No, any of you perfect? Exactly. Do unto others as you want them to do for you. So if someone comes to you in need, like last week, uh, Molly was struggling with her homework. Now, I have the privilege and the curse of having been a former high school English teacher back in the day when I was much younger and much taller and much more handsome. I taught high school English. And so when Molly came and said, Pastor Matt, didn't you used to teach like English-like? And I said, yeah, like I did, like Molly. Like, what do you need? She says, well, like, I, I need some, like, help on my 
like term paper. And I said, oh, like totally, wow. So I helped Molly on her term paper. I had a treasure, it was a gift. Well, it's kind of drummed into me by my professors at the University of Wisconsin, go Badgers. And I got to give back to Molly some of my treasure so that she could do well in school and get a job and get out of poverty. What's your treasure and what are you giving away? Now your treasure might be that you're really good at ballet. Are you helping somebody else? Maybe your treasure is that you're really good at reading stories to kids. Come on over to Friendship House and read to our preschoolers. They'd love it. Maybe your treasure is you're really good at knitting hats and you're going to send them to the Friendship House kids this winter. I don't know. Maybe your treasure is you've got a great garden and you just picked it all this morning and you really want to go bless your neighbors with some of those jalapeno peppers and tomatoes and cucumbers and watermelon. What else you got? Zucchini? Zucchini. You can never get rid of enough. Nobody's your friend when you have zucchini. Hey, it's a zucchini. No, I've got enough. If you've got a treasure, you're called to give it away. And when you do that, you're following Jesus. So, another verse to ponder. Let's read this one together from James 1.27. What does God say? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So, I don't know, the word religion kind of bugs me because it can mean a lot, it's got a lot of baggage to unpack. But I like to say I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian. And if I'm going to be a Christian, that means that maybe I got to care for people. If I want people to really see me as a Christian, maybe I need to do something instead of just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I got that dusty Bible on my shelf over there. I got it when I went through confirmation back in the third grade or whatever. Maybe it means that when we're a Christian, that we actually do something about it. I don't know. Sounds like the radical middle, doesn't it? (laughs) Not saying, no, you take care of yourself, or not saying, I'll do everything for you. But maybe the radical center is where we say, wow, how do I help you to be who God intended you to be? How do I help you to care for yourself, to take personal responsibility for your actions, but also to help you when you have a need, like Glenn, who came to us literally drunk as a skunk, and he worked with our uh, addiction counselor and got sober, and now he's working for us, and he's paying back his child support, and he quit the band's easy top because he trimmed his beard. So I'm going to skip these two things simply because they're too blurry. Um, and I want to talk about two things, and I'm going to close with a story. It's clear that the Word of God has some very specific and some general things to say about poverty and the response to the poor. On one side of the coin, it's this. People of faith are called to serve. You're sitting here. Now, maybe you're a person of faith, maybe not. Maybe you believe, maybe you don't. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Don't care. But if you're going to believe, here's the deal. Does it? Oh, it does work. I got laser power, people. I'm Luke Skywalker. Uh, People of faith are called to serve. If you believe in God, God believes that you will serve. Now, I don't know how you're going to serve, and we're not talking tennis where you throw it up when you serve across the net. I'm talking serve somebody. If you believe in God, you're called to serve. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you serve as a Sunday school teacher here at church. Maybe you come early and shovel the walk. Maybe you serve on one of the boards or committees and you fix things or 
make decisions or plan. Maybe you've got an elderly neighbor and you go home this afternoon and you bring her half your meatloaf that you're going to have for lunch. Um, maybe you've got an elderly mom who's in a nursing home and you really should go check her out and say, how are you doing, mom? How can I pray for you? If you believe in God, you're called to serve, period. That's what all those verses said. And if you're not serving, then you've got to ask yourself, do I really believe? Here's the other side of the coin. It's clear from the Word of God that it has some very specific and some general things to say on poverty and the response of the poor. Not People of God have a response and the poor have a response too. And guess what? People in poverty are called to serve. In our ministry at Friendship House, if you have kids in our program, you have to volunteer one hour per month per kid. You got three kids, that's three hours a month. that You have to come and help us clean the bathrooms or sweep the floor. Or we also give people this option. You can take a class. So if there's a parenting class, that's an hour. Take three parenting classes, one a week. That counts as serving because then you're serving your family. At the rescue mission, men and women are called to serve. So if you're staying at our rescue mission, you've got to help in the kitchen peel potatoes. And boy, we go through a lot of potatoes. Last week, Costco donated a pallet of potato to us. Now, unfortunately, they didn't come pre-peeled. <laughs> so, have you ever peeled? And this pallet was like this tall. And pallet, it was like... 2,000 pounds? You ever peeled 2,000 pounds of potatoes? Well, some of our shelter guests have. <laughs> um, but you know what? That served everybody. You know why? Because now this week they're having like potatoes au gratin, julienne fries, French fries, American cut fries, crinkle fries. I mean, what can you do with potatoes? Potato soup, potato dumplings, potato pancakes, potato olays. I mean, we've got potatoes coming out of our ears, but God bless Costco for giving us this pallet of potatoes, and the people are serving so that they can eat. If a person doesn't work, they don't eat. It's true in our case, because how many of you have ever eaten the potato with the skin on? Now, sometimes they sell them, and they're kind of a delicacy, but if they're not really well washed, you get a little grit and the gravel in your teeth, and it's not a good thing. So that's why you've got to work, so you don't break your fillings. I mean, that's in the Bible. Okay, it's not. I'm just seeing if you're awake. So people in poverty are called to serve. People of faith are called to serve. So I'm going to tell you a story, and I want you to think about this. So I live in a neighborhood that has a walking path going through it. Bozeman has so many cool walking paths all over. You guys are so much healthier than us in Billings. It's true. I mean, you're, you're beautiful, you're taller, you're more handsome, you're better looking. It's all out there. Everybody knows Bozeman is the place. We in Billings are just kind of trying to keep up with you. But we do have one walking path, and it goes through town, and I happen to live, and it goes right past my front door. And on that walking path every day, it's like a parade going past my house. I sit down there, and I, it's like I'm sitting there watching a parade go by every day. And early in the morning, there's George. George is a walker. Every day, George is walking by. This is George, and I always know that it's 6.30. You know why? Because there's George. And then about 7.30, um, I think it's Susan, and I want to say Jill, but they're too fast. You know why? I don't know their names. Because it's the Susan and Jill. And you know, my son's in soccer, and my daughter's in dance. They're doing this power walk thing, and I, they're like, Susan and maybe Jill, I don't know. I, I couldn't catch it. But, and if one of them's sick, the other one's on the phone talking to somebody at 7. That's Susan and Jill, and they're walking, and they're cooking. And then I know when it's 7.30, you know why? Because all the neighborhood kids got the backpack and they're doing the slouch to the bus stop. You know, and the teenagers, their pants are really low. That's why they walk like this. And the little kids are like, 
jelly bean bunnies, really hopping to the bus stop. That's 7.30, I know it. Then about 8 o'clock, there's a lot of young moms with strollers. They got the other kids off to school, they got the baby in the stroller, and they're walking. Sometimes they're fast, sometimes they're slow, but they're walking with a stroller. And once in a while you hear the oogling and the googling from the little one. I saw like one lady who had a dog in her stroller. That was weird. I mean, like, dogs have legs. What's up with that? It was just weird. Then it's 8.30, and I'm in the car going to work. So I don't know what happens after 8.30. But you know what's something interesting about all those people on that path? What do they all have in common? Anybody? They're all walking. Every one of them's walking. When I look at you, you're all walking. And I don't know who you are, if you're Susan and maybe Jill, if you're George, if you're one of the jelly bean kids going to school, if you're one of the teenagers going to school. I don't know who you are. I mean, I know who you are, some of you, because I've been here 10 times, but I don't know what your walk is like. But you're all called to walk. You're all called to walk in ways that God has called you to walk. For some of you, it might be slow and with a cane. So for some of you, you might need that stroller to hold on to because you've had a hard day and you just need support. For some of you, you're like, because you're cooking and you're walking fast and you're with friends and you're always engaged. But you're all called to walk because God has blessed you with feet. God has blessed you with these amazing things. I mean, you were born. Miracle. You were born here in this country, or you're a citizen here, or you're visiting. doesn't matter. You're here. Miracle. You obviously have wealth because you're all wearing clothes. Woo! Two weeks ago, we got two guys that showed up to the rescue mission with no clothes on. They had done methamphetamine and taken off all their clothes and couldn't find them and showed up. Woo! Too much information there. You're blessed, believe me. We're all blessed that you're wearing clothes. Thank you for wearing clothes. You all have an IQ and you can all understand me. You all have hands and feet. You're all here. You're all blessed. You're all walking the walk of faith. And so the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to live out your faith? That's between you and God. But I want to challenge you this morning to walk. To walk, to not grow weary, but to walk. Because that's what we're called to do. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us so many blessings and so many gifts. God, we were born. We had parents. We have IQs. We have skin. We have clothes. We have food. We have shelter. We are so blessed. God, we have so much. And God, we recognize that around us, many people have little. And we're called to give back. Would you help us to continue our walk by serving would you help us to be kind of in that radical middle of following you, not blaming or shaming, not enabling or placating, but simply trying to live by your word and walk by following you. Will you challenge us, will you empower us, and will you embolden us to be your people? This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.